glad we have that kind of experience with God. I wouldn't give you a nickel for religion. I don't want religion. I want salvation. Religion can be cold and dead and dry and formal and methodical. And Religion kills people, literally. Religion has beheaded people. That's right. That's what religion does. But salvation doesn't do such a thing. We greet you today in the name of the Lord. Hope you all happy. Yes. In spite of all that's going on. Does Jesus mean more to you now than he ever did before? Yes. Praise the Lord. Well, good. Good. We're so glad to have you today. I don't know when, but hopefully it won't be long that we can all gather together as we used to do in the good old days. Um, let me just say um, a couple of words to you today. I know this is a very difficult time for all of us, and um, we certainly don't like the changes of what we're having to do. I, for one, hate masks. I said it last night. I'll say it again for you group today. I don't like masks. I don't like social distancing. I don't like air shakes. They don't feel the same to me. I don't like air hugs and air embraces and all that sort of thing. But I think that God helping us, we'll get through this time. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody understood that uh, wearing the mask, the social distance, and all this and another, that's not, this is not my ideas. And this is not the ideas of the deacons. But actually, from the state of Tennessee, we are under a mandate from our governor. And if COVID was to break out in our church, the health officials will contact me, not you, me. And they will question me. They will question the administration and the leadership of the church. And if we tell them, we didn't do nothing what you said. We thought it was a bunch of baloney. They can shut us down indefinitely. So I know some of you don't like it. I don't like it either. But I'd rather, if I have to wear a mask to church, look, if I look like the Lone Ranger preaching Wednesday night, and if that's what I've got to do, that's what I'm going to do. Because I love coming to church. <laughs> but just so, just so you know that I don't, I don't like these things. Deacons don't like them. I, I, don't, I haven't really talked to anybody. I'm really just head over and heels in love with the mask. I mean, I find it hard to breathe through the crazy things, and your ears flop out, and you look like Bozo the Clown, and I don't like it none. I don't like the social distancing. I don't like any of it. But for the trade-offs of being able to come to church, I'll do it. That's right. Oh, it's my religious right. Now, please tell me what, what is, is wearing a mask got to do with your religious rights? Don't pull that spiritual thing on me. Just face it, folks are stubborn. Folks are stubborn, and they don't like to be crossed in Christ. They don't like to be. But to me, to go through it and to be able to get through it and try to take care of each other. Because remember, you're responsible for me, not just yourself. And I'm responsible for you. Well, I don't think I need it, but you might be a carrier, and you might give it to me. And at my age, it could kill me. So you're okay with that? Any of y'all okay with giving it to your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather? I, I wouldn't want that on me. No. 
I know a bunch of message preachers that have ridiculed it, made fun of it. They're dealing with dead folks now. Some of them are. And some of them wound up getting it. Um, but by the grace of God, I'm going to do everything I can. You ain't got no faith. Yeah, I do. And that black thing in my car called a seatbelt, I reach over and grab it and I go, I still got faith. I got insurance, still got faith. We got insurance on our church, still got faith. Praise the Lord. Well, I've done, I've done killed everything now. I guess we might as well just all go to Dairy Queen. They don't social distance there, I guess. So. Well, we'll get through it, friends. Now, this, this is the thing that you want to keep in mind. Satan looks for every opportunity that he can to divide us and separate us. I'd hate to think that we are divided over stupid things like a mask. Let's, let's keep our focus where it needs to be. We're going to heaven. We're brothers and sisters. Surely you folks know me well enough now to know I've been with you going on 34 years. I have your best interest in mind. It'd be a lot easier just let people do whatever they want to do because you don't get near as much lip from people. That's right. But when you try to watch out for them and to care for them, people misunderstand and whatever more. That's part of it. But remember, we're on the same side. We're on the same team. We're all pulling together. And we'll get through these difficult times. And we'll look back and say, praise the Lord. He kept us by his grace. So let's just do the best we can and pray for one another. If you run out of anybody to pray for, you can pray for me. Uh, I don't know why I would need it, but I mean, I just thought it would be a good suggestion for you. But it's very difficult times that we're all going through. I can tell you that right now. Somebody, a minister, a pastor, had actually sent me a little thing the other day, and it was a big, long bus. And I've seen some of those buses in Africa and India and some of those third world countries. And this bus driver was driving this bus down a ridge. And uh, I'm not sure why, but he decides all of a sudden he's going to turn it around. So he turns it this way, and the front end goes like this, and the back end goes up like that. And then he backs back up, and he turns it around back and forth, back and forth. And you're just standing, you know, looking at this, and he's tipped back and forth. And this, uh, the caption of it was, pastoring a church in COVID times. <laughs> so, anyway, everybody that's mad, you can give me a gift card now for after service because I ain't going out to eat with you unless you've got a mask on. <laughs> Amen. Oh, we had a wonderful time here last night. Yes, sir presence of God was so awesome in the word and I just kind of feel like we're going to have another one here today let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 if you would having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having an high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. 
for he is faithful that promised now we can all be honest and say we've had times when we wasn't so faithful not that we was out drinking running around doing that sort of thing but we just lost faith fear trauma despair whatever comes our way and we just lose faith but there's one thing you can hang your soul on he is faithful that promised aren't you glad for that today can we bow our heads together and pray? How many like to be remembered in prayer? My, so many, many, many needs and requests. I just keep hearing more every day. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Through all these services that we've been looking at this, Lord, you certainly wanted to be emphasized to us that you're a high priest that is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And you're concerned about us, Lord. These times that we're in are certainly difficult or trying. Lord, we, we've had to change so much of what we do and where we go. And Lord, we just be honest, we don't really like it. We don't care for it at all. But Father, I pray that during such times that you would help us to keep the most important things in our lives. May your grace, your word, our character our reputation, our honor, our behavior as Christians, may that be some of the most important values to us, Lord, instead of stubbornness and selfishness and, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. Help us not to be Laodiceans, Father. For we know that's typical Laodicean. I don't like this and I don't like that. How come they do this and why do they do that? Why does God want me to quit this and why does God want me to quit that? That's a typical Laodicean. But we want to be bride. We want to be a people who are submitted to your divine call. Help us, I pray, Lord. Dear Jesus, all the requests that we've heard. And, Lord, I didn't hear all the ones that Brother Louis read today, but I could see from the pile of them that there were so many. Jesus, be mindful, Lord. Father, we pray for your mercy to be extended to your people around the world. Hearing of so many, Lord, that are being so pressed by many different issues. And COVID is only one of them, Lord. But so many things are going on. We pray for your help to the people of God. Lord Jesus, give us faith. Give us strength. Give us courage. Be with us in the service today, Father, in a special way. Anoint me, Lord. Help me to get out of the way, Father, that I can be a surrendered instrument that can speak to your people. May the people pull together. May we just create this atmosphere that you will feel so welcome among us, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't mind telling you such a being that is willing to give so much and to change himself from what he was to become what was necessary in order to meet my needs and your needs. Not only 2,000 years ago, but he's still doing exactly the same thing today. I find it hard in my human mind, my intellect, to be able to comprehend such a person. So I've faced the fact a long time ago that the only way that I will ever be able to understand him is by him imparting to me from his own nature the ability 
to be able to relate to him. Because at best, we have no examples like him. We could write stories about our mothers and our fathers and aunts and uncles and maybe great heroic people that have given their lives for the cause of America or the cause of the country, the nation that they lived in. And we look to those people and we honor them and we are grateful that there's people like that that are willing to die for liberty. I don't know about you, I appreciate all the soldiers, all the veterans, Marines, Armed Corps, all that that have given their lives so we could have freedom here today. I realize a lot of Americans don't love America. They don't, they don't appreciate what we stand for at all. But I'm still grateful that I have freedom. And I'm grateful for the men and women who sacrificed their life. They gave the ultimate price so that you and I could sit here today to be able to rejoice. And I realize that's not acceptable to say it today. I really don't care. I just, I'm glad that there's people that have done it. But whenever we would compare all of that to what he did and all that he is still doing, it would pale in comparison to think about a being that pre-existed in the realm of eternity. And remember, he was not at that time Jesus because Jesus had a beginning. The prophet tells us that he had a beginning, and Melchizedek had a day started, day died, but he was, this was pre-Jesus' existence. So it was the Logos or the Word. It was that part which came out of God that would be tangible, something that man would be able to relate to. It's going to be an image, an expression of the invisible God. In that existence, it must have been something. It must have been, as the word that we use, totally awesome. To be there in the presence of that great light, angels, cherubims, seraphims, holy beings of God, living there in that realm of eternity, one endless day, no night, no sorrow, no sickness, no suffering. It's just more than our minds can really relate to. But yet, he, he knew that in order to get those attributes which were in his mind fully expressed, he must come to the earth. But he could not come to the earth in that form because that form could not die. That form could not suffer. That form actually could not become high priest. So he must become in a form that would condescend, that would be able to do all the above that I just mentioned. And whenever the, the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost began to write about who he was, and it must have been quite difficult for them as they were, you know, the word, the revelation was still just unfolding to the apostles as they were writing about it. And this is why, of course, they needed a, a prophet like Paul was. Peter was a great guy, a great writer, a miracle really, that Peter was ignorant and unlearned. But whenever you read First and Second Peter and read the words that that man used, they're absolutely astounding. That God helped a man that was ignorant and unlearned. John the same way. 
and yet my favorite of all the four gospels the book of John and how that God so inspired that man and John just being an ignorant fisherman in his earlier years and yet the way that man picked the scriptures and picked the the Greek and the Aramaic and the language that he used oh, it's absolutely phenomenal the more you look at it the more you realize how great that it really was but yet, as great as John's writing was, and, and Luke, and Matthew, and Mark, yet there was a need of a prophet that would be able to go not only in the Aramaic language, or, or the Greek, or the Hasidic ways of the Jews, but would be able to understand by revelation what God really was in Christ. So they would have been very, very strenuous, no doubt, on them, as they was going back in the prophets of the Old Testament and trying to find everything that properly aligns with the first advent of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Now remember, they didn't have a New Testament to go by. So they did not have scholars and theologians and things to say, well, this scripture applied, half of this verse did, this other half didn't. This verse here, these five words were actually speaking of Jesus, and the other part of that verse was speaking of Solomon. This was speaking of his first advent, that was speaking of his second. Now it's easy for us because the New Testament has already been compiled. But you imagine them, as they would sit and pray and look at the word and try to thumb through the Old Testament scrolls. And God, please help me. I don't want to misapply your word. Lord Jesus, what applied to your first coming? Oh, I'm grateful they was willing to do that. And we are, we are abs absolutely blessed today to set under the influence of the Holy Ghost as those men of God were inspired by God to do so. You believe that? Now, let us, with that being said, let us look again at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 this morning. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, this was God's divine choice after the people of Israel said, we don't want to hear God anymore. We don't want God to speak directly to us. And remember, up to this time, God had chosen a direct means by which he would be able to give his commands and his will and his desire. And God came down on the mount and the mount was shaking and trembling and burning and the people was so afraid and they were terrified and after this happened then they said we, we, we don't want God to speak no more like this we can't take it it scares us it upsets us it makes us nervous it makes our children nervous well we, we, don't, we don't want God to do this no more sorry we asked for the wrong thing then God said all right if, if they don't want this no more then I'll raise them up a prophet and I will take that prophet, I will gift him in the realm of the supernatural. I will actually make him from his birth. So his subconscious and his first conscience will be so close together that he can stand there with his eyes wide open. And I will take him into the fourth dimension. I will carry him back before the foundation of the world. I will carry him at the beginning of the creation of the word. I will carry him in the future a thousand years, five thousand years, ten thousand years. I will make him so that he will lose control of himself momentarily. I will make him so that he will have no input in what I'm going to say. I will make it so that the visions that he will see and declare to the people will be totally, completely 
infallible. They will be absolutely perfect without one flaw. Praise the Lord. Then whenever that inspiration moves from him, he'll move back into the realm and be like any other mortal. When he's there, he will have opinions. He will have flaws. He will have humanity. He will be affected by that like every other mortal on the earth. But once I catch him under that inspiration, it won't be him. It will be me speaking through him. And I will actually use his mouth to say, this is no longer William Branham, Brother Branham, but this is me. I am the Lord. I have taken his voice. I have taken his body. Praise the Lord. Just like he did with Moses, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, and so on. Now, whenever God would do that, these prophets would say prophetic words. And they probably would, you know, after this was, after this was spoken and someone, many of them had men that would follow them around that were scribes of the words. Because they would be caught into this sphere and they would not actually remember what they said. As Brother Branham would in the discernment and the people after the service that was with him would tell him do you know that you called them people out and you pronounced their Indian names and you told them this and that and the other well because it was separate from his first conscience like you and I having a dream he would be carried out in the realm of the subconscious and the spirit of God would have him to say these words but he couldn't remember it because it bypassed Carol will tell me many times did you remember you preached this and I said I didn't say that she said, you did. You said, I said, really? My goodness, I don't even remember that. So she'll find it on the service. And I said, oh my goodness, I didn't remember it at all. What is that? Spirit of God. Now that's just a pastor. You can imagine what it must have been for a prophet. So he would get out underneath that. And then he would say these words, but he couldn't even remember what he had to say. So God would have them to be written down. Now this is what that Paul and the New Testament writers would take those words which had been written and then sort through them and try to apply them by the word which ones applied to the Lord Jesus. Now notice then in verse 2 Paul says that hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Now here Paul is giving a difference in designation to the decreed channel by which God from the beginning of Christ's days, let me say a plural, from the beginning of Christ's days unto the consummation going up into the millennium, that God has chosen to no longer use just prophets alone but God would use his son. But in the administration of his son is prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? So, but yet the channel that God is using is going to be the son or the logos. Now, the son is different than the prophet. God never, of course, called the prophet's son in the place that he would the Lord Jesus. Notice, Paul said, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Now, what's this? What a peculiar thing to say, because he'll take us in the latter half of this verse and show us the contrast between the two existence of Christ and Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things. So an appointment is something 
that you did not have, but was made for you. So, you have an appointment to go to the orthodontist, the, the doctor, you've got an appointment for this and that and the other, right? Well, that appointment was made by you, your mother, your wife, but it was something that you didn't have, but you made the appointment and it's something that's given to you to keep. Now, this was part of the allocation or the appointment that was given after the work of incarnation in the life of the Lord Jesus. He says, by whom he has appointed heir of all things. So the divine appointment given to the resurrected Jesus Christ was actually not his before his incarnation. Why? Because he never existed before the incarnation as Jesus, but as the Word. Praise the Lord. But once he came into existence in this form that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, then there was position given to him. Now Paul uses two words here. Whom he has appointed heir, appointed heir of all things. So now he was already heir, but not in the Jesus form. Heir in the word form. Notice how Paul brings to us the deity side, by whom also he made the worlds. So who is this person? Now this person, part of them, was actually appointed a position that they did not previously have. Who was that? The man, Christ Jesus. But yet this person also was before the manhood and it was the medium or the channel by which God created the worlds. And the word worlds there is actually ages. So it's everything in the universe, everything that was created in time, everything in the ages. So here the man Christ Jesus was appointed a position and became an heir of all things. But the word Christ was the very thing that made all things. So once he condescended, he wound up giving himself things which he himself in another form had made. Praise be to God. But he must condescend in order to relate to you and me and all of our problems. Now watch in verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now I'll tell you one thing, there is a complete series right in this verse right here. Who being the brightness of his glory, or in other words, it was the visible manifestation by which the invisible God could be declared. So he was the brightness of his glory. Now there was not, as I said to you last night, streams of light that proceeded from the Lord Jesus and everybody got around him and had to cover their eyes because of that. And actually the visible image here, it's word more than the word that we would use as an appearance. But actually the Greek word is a beautiful word. It, it, it means the substance of his being. So the Lord Jesus actually was the substance of the being 
of the invisible God. So he takes on a visible image by which people can be able to relate to him. Now this is what actually we're going to see for eternity is that visible image of the invisible God. So he is the glory or the revealing of the glory of the personality of the Father in whom all the fullness of God dwelled. And it pleased the Father to do so. So here he represented the invisible God. This is a form in which we would be able to comprehend it. Now still, as great as it is, the prophet said it would blind the elected if he had not condescended to this means. Oh, I'm so grateful that he did. So it gives a different angle now, of course, than what theologians would, would bring to us. And this is something, remember that Paul never actually got to see the Lord Jesus uh, before glorification. But he met him on the road to Damascus, and Paul never walked with him as, as the rest of the apostles did. But he met him in the glorified state when he said, I am Jesus, and it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. So he never knew him after the flesh, but he knew him after immortality. Now he says he was the character or the express image of the invisible God. As I explained this word last night, that it was the part of an image which would be impressed upon wax. Or it would be a seal, as I use the example of the minister's license that I issues to men. And I will take that little impression in my hand and I will slide that piece of paper under this little thing. And it will actually go through the little gold seal. Also go through the minister's license on the front, in the middle, on the back. And it takes on the very image of that seal, Donnie Reagan Revivals Incorporated. And it, the, the very image of that becomes imprinted. Now, years and years ago, whenever people would write a letter, you can impersonate words. But kings and even rich people, famous people, they would have a seal made. And it will be a little round seal. Maybe it was their initial, their name, or, or a little insignia. And then whenever they wanted to authenticate that this letter actually came from them, they would sit down and write this letter, then they would fold it together, and they would take a candle. You, you've seen it before. They would take a candle, and they would heat up the candle, and pour the wax on that paper, and the wax would seal. They'd fold it together, and the wax would be a seal on the paper. So the contents was actually sealed under the mystery of the seal on the outside. Then they would take, while the wax was hot, they would take their little personalized seal and embed that in the hot wax, and they would leave it there for a few seconds, and then they would pull it up, and when they did, the perfect imprint of the image of their seal was now on this candle wax. So then the leather was delivered to Dal or to Brother Mark or Brother Calvin or whoever it was. Here, take this. Give this to Louis. Give this to Louis. Well, anybody could have wrote Louis a letter. They might even impersonate my handwriting. But I'm the only one that has got a seal made that has my name and my particular whatever more, my monogram on it. And when Brother Louis would have looked at that and said, yeah, I know this seal. This is from Brother Donnie. So he could break that seal and open up 
up the contents of the letter and read what was there. So in, in other words, that seal would represent me. It would represent my authority. Now, had I went to Brother Louis Percy, I could have went. I said, Brother Louis, do this, go there, do this. Yes, sir, Brother Donnie, absolutely, I'll do it. But what if I, I had to go this direction? I had to go that direction as well. So the seal would represent me when my per glory to God. When my person required to be elsewhere, then the seal would represent this was my authority. Now, whenever the Lord Jesus comes to the earth, he bears on him, even in his humanity, the seal of the living God. So you would look at him and as Thomas would say, Lord, show us the Father. And he'd say, Thomas, have I been so long time with you and you don't know who I am? Don't you see I've got the seal of the Father written all over me? It's the way I talk. It's the way I walk. It's the way I preach. I heal the sick like God. I talk like God. I raise the dead like God. Don't that tell you who I am, Thomas? I'm God. Amen. Now, whenever then that comes to the earth, I love this, Philo the Jew, which was also a, a famous historian. But Philo actually called the Logos the character and the image of God. So the Logos then to the early Jews, the first century Jews, would have been the character and the image of of God. Notice this that Paul goes on to say, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Now here, instead of using the Greek word logos, he uses the Greek word rhema, that which has been uttered by a living voice, things spoken, a declaration of one's mind made in words. So after the apostle declares who the Lord Jesus was, that he was the instrument in his preexistence that God used to make the worlds and bring them into existence. Now next, he's going to declare what the Lord Jesus actually does. That he upholds all things by the word of his power. And I don't know if you've looked at this before or not, but this just, just turns me inside out. This just does me so much good. That Paul would catch something about the great omnipotence of God, which can be very easily overlooked. But he would choose this as a, as a means to signify not only that he created all things, but he keeps all things that he created. So he upholds all things by the rhema of his power. Now think of it that he brought all things that was on the face of the earth when the earth was in this state of utter darkness and complete chaos. And he brought it out of that state of chaos. That was a great display of the power of God, right? We know that it was. It was a wonderful thing. But that was only really part of it. The other part of that is the display of his rhema power that he keeps what he brought out of chaos from going back into the same chaos. Praise be to God. 
Now, the preservation of the power of God, you know, he not only does that to the earth and the universe and the stars and all of that, who is it that keeps them in their place? Who is them? Look at what man has done. I mean, after the flood, look what it did to the earth that is causing the earth to tilt over on its axis. And God, in the beginning, knowing when he made the earth, and he made the earth with that much tolerance that the earth would be able to tilt backwards on its axis and still not wobble out of sequence. But of course, he put the moon out there with the great gravitational pull, which is what actually keeps the earth from tipping back over. It's the gravitational pull from the moon. Oh, hallelujah. You're talking about a loving father. And all that man has done upon the earth and all that man has taken out the iron and the coal and so on out of the structure of the earth, how is it that the earth does not annihilate itself? It's kept by the same power that made it. Now, I want you to notice then that Paul captures this and focuses on this as being part of the great attributes that he was the Christ before he became the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just bring it down to you and I that Peter says it in 1 Peter that we are also kept by the power of God. Now, when the Lord Jesus found us, we were in a state of chaos and nothingness. We were worthless. We were liars, thieves, whoremongers, whatever we all were and he saved us that was a tremendous miracle was it not we still rejoice in that today but I'll tell you friend I think we also ought to focus and be grateful that not only of what he done but of what he's doing every day of our life that he is keeping us brother Dow, by the power of God or in our humanity we would go back to becoming worse than we were because a person who backslides and goes away from the truth, they never go as far back as they were. They always become worse. You know it as well as I do. And what is it that's keeping us from doing so? It is the power of God. So we are not kept by our own faithfulness. We must be faithful, of course. And we're not just kept by how many verses we read every day, how we discipline ourselves to be able to listen to tapes and so on. But it is the great omnipotent power of our Savior is what's keeping us from going back into the nothingness that we came out of. Oh, praise God. To me, this is what will be the very thing that will keep the message of the hour. Don't you see what happened to denominations when God sent them a message and they rejected the keeping power of God and chose the leadership of man. And when they choose the leadership of man, they forfeit the keeping power of God, so what do they do? They make an organization out of it. Well, the very thing that pulled them out of the organization, they don't want no more, so they go back to the nothingness that they came out of. Oh, God, we need His power. Oh, hallelujah. To me, what will keep this message? Now, not so much the message as, as a move I'm talking about, but the individuals in the message who are the elect of God that will keep us from making, my, Satan's done his best to try to form all types of denominations and organizations in our move. And there will be some that will go that way because they will choose man instead of the power of God. But the very thing that we look at is crowning factor that he is the omnipotent king
being that not only does he pull us out of that nothingness and that chaos and turn us into a supernatural miracle, a phenomena of the grace of God, but once he gets us out and we keep surrendering to that great omnipotent power, he keeps us every day of our life. How are we kept in this hour of stress and struggle and difficulty? You say, oh, I'm a strong person. I'm this and that and the other. You're going to fall flat on your face and you're going to have a bigger nose than you got now. That's right. We are not kept by our resilience. We are not kept by our strength. We are kept by the power of God. If it was not for that, no doubt years ago, I would have went back into the nothingness that I came out of. I would have went back into the chaos or worse or made my own little kingdom out of it. And yet what is it that has kept me? What is it that has kept you? What is it that has kept the bride around the world. The very same power that brought us out is now keeping us from going back into the chaos that we came out of. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Really in one way, you look at the consistency of the power of God. And I've taken more of the power of God in preservation than I actually did in salvation. That the salvation miracle wasn't, you know, wasn't a divine healing process where that God saved me over a period of six months or nine months and, and finally at the end of nine months I got saved. No, I simply got saved as a little boy going to the altar, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and my ignorance and God saved me just like that. But yet preservation of the power of God in my life is every day, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days and then of course on leap here that extra day, he's always there as well and actually it's more of a display. Don't you see why he chose to leave you in this temple of your humanity that you would be able to display how great it was when the universe was created and the worlds or the ages were spoken to existence but yet in reality it's taken more the display of the power of God to keep them in their orbit, to keep them where they are, to keep them properly in line. Man getting out there and shooting all kinds of rockets and got all kinds of space junk. There ain't no telling what the Lord Jesus has had to do every day just to keep us where we need to be. Not only in the universe, but also in our spiritual walk with God. Oh, I'm telling you, friends, he has not lost his power. Oh my, you know, you look at it in that way and you realize that the conservation of the power of God, Him keeping you there and preserving you in the stature of what He wanted you to be is an absolute display of the grace of God. It ain't no wonder we're going to be praising Him for eternity. My, think about it. Now, so to keep us from returning into that nothingness, he wants a display of the power of God inside of our lives. Notice Paul goes on to say, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty from on high. Now, this is actually what it was, that Christ was light from light. He was the projection of the great supernatural phenomena light because God is light. He was the projection from the great supernatural light which could not be comprehended, could not be even seen, could not even, man could not even live under that greatness. But God projected a condescended form of that light from his own being. So what did Paul see? What did he see? He did not see a man there with crucified hand and crucified feet but he saw a pillar of fire. 
the Lord Jesus had entered back into the Christ form, the pre-incarnate form, amen, before he come to the earth to become a man. So Christ is the essential representation of that great holy God. Everybody with me this morning? Christ is the stamp, or he bears in his being the express image or the character of God. Now watch this in verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. But notice this, the words that he chooses to use. Being made. Being made. Being made. So this which was made was not eternal. It was a time being. What was it? It was Jesus the man. So Jesus the man was made so much better than the angels and he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. But now remember this man who wrote this did not believe in two gods or two lords. He believed in one. But he did believe that God was so phenomenal he could project from his own being a human being. Amen. And that human being would have its own makeup, its own character, its own nature. And by that he would be able to create all things. He would come to the earth and die. And he would glorify that and set that right on his throne for eternity. And the children of God would worship him forever. Y'all love the word? How many love thoughts? Depends on which thoughts they are, right? I used this example last night. Well, I'm having a time, are you all? You're having a hard time understanding me, right? Now, see, I'm dwelling along with my thoughts. I'm dwelling along with my thoughts, and they're making me smile. Other thoughts might make me frown. But if I can get a medium or a channel called the Word, then I will be able to share my thoughts with you. And guess what? You can smile with me. And then you can cry with me. This is what God was. He dwelt alone with his thoughts. But he must have a channel, a medium, a, a way, a means of communication by which he can project what he wants, what he desires, what his purpose is, what his goal is. And that was his word. Well, unlike me and you, I cannot take my word and make a man out of it. I can't take my word and make a, a being that would project out of me. I just don't have the ability. But the eternal being creator... He could take his words and make, a, oh hallelujah, make a being come out of him and it would be a projection of himself, an act of condescension and he would dwell there with the Father before the foundation of the world. He would dwell there with the Father in the beginning and then he would project that attribute of his fullness down to the earth and he would come and live inside a human body. And he would give that human body the human redemptive name of Jesus. And then he would say there's not another name in heaven or in earth by which any of us can be saved. That's greater than the name of Jesus. Notice this, being made so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance. Now notice here then the man Christ Jesus received an inheritance. By inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. An inheritance. What did God do? God brought himself down on the level of us. We're, we're fulfilling the scripture as well. That we have obtained a name by inheritance. What is it? Miss Jesus Christ. We inherited that. 
We don't deserve it. We cannot buy it. There's nothing we've done. But we obtained it by inheritance. Why? Because our husband obtained this by inheritance and he shared his inheritance with us. So we have obtained a position. We have obtained a name. Oh my, we have obtained an excellency which is far greater than the angels. Oh my. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. Now remember the eternal, the invisible, this great matchless one projects out of his own being this object of the word and calls him son. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now this title does not refer to Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb. It wasn't when he was born of the virgin womb that this was said about him, but rather when he was born of the virgin tomb. Now remember, he came out of a womb which had never conceived seed before, which had never known a man. But his body was laid in a tomb that had never held a man. <laughs> Hallelujah! So he was born out of a virgin womb, but he was reborn out of a virgin tomb. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And then what did he say to the virgin womb, the woman who carried it? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. A wonderful, praise God. But after coming out of the virgin tomb was when the eternal said, Today thou art my son. Ah, I have begotten thee. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That was not said at his birth from the virgin womb, but rather his rebirth out of the virgin tomb. <laughs> Glory to God, that makes me feel like shout. Notice in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, it calls him the firstborn from the dead. What's this again? For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. You're talking about peculiar. Now this prophetic utterance here is actually in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. God speaking to David. But watch how God hid the mystery of Christ and hid it what would seemingly be thought by many as a prophecy concerning Solomon. When thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep of thy fathers, I will set, upon, set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Now here God embedded a messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus. This is the only place this is mentioned in the Old Testament. Paul goes right back here and remember what I was talking about. Them prophets trying to go back to the Old Testament and figure out what applied to Jesus. Now can you imagine the Spirit of God, Brother Louis, leading him right over there reading Samuel and led him right to them words, I will be his father and he will be my son. Use that. But Lord, isn't, isn't that Solomon? I embedded my identity in that portion of prophecy. And Satan overlooked it for all these years. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notice this. I will be his father and he will be my son if he commit iniquity. Well, that couldn't apply to the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus never committed iniquity. You can see why this would be read and thought to be Solomon. Hallelujah. And yet when Paul is looking for the messianic identity of Melchizedek, the Spirit of God leads him right to this word. And you imagine some of them Jews saying, well, that don't apply to him. That applied to Solomon. He ain't got no right to take that word. Bless God. That's why God uses a prophet to be able to interpret his word. If he committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Well, that can't be Jesus. Whom I put away before thee. And again, when he bringeth his firstborn into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God Worship Him. Now when you get a little time, I'd like you to find that scripture for me in the Old Testament. <laughs> Where in the world did Paul get this? He's a prophet. He could catch that which is written and apply it and catch that which was spoken that actually never got wrote down. And he's the only one that quoted it. But that's good enough for me. I said, that's good enough for me. Why? Because I'm living in the last days under the administration of his son, the Logos. Notice in verse 8, unto the son he saith, thy throne, O God, here is God calling the Son God. Well, we know there ain't two gods. So God is calling the projection of himself, himself. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Unto the Son he says... Thy throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. 
Now this is taken from Psalms 45.6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Oh, praise the Lord. Now watch what he does as the messianic attributes now enter into the resurrected stage. Watch how he's fixing to describe him as a bridegroom dressed going to the wedding. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. You see, they did not wear clothes in the same way, of course, that we do today. So they would have special clothes for special occasions. And for a bride and a bridegroom, there was no more special occasion than that. So depending on their wealth and how much that they had, they might have a special outfit that would be made for the wedding day. Solomon being on the type here, being rich, no doubt did. And they would have them made out of the finest cloth and material. And the common clothes would have been the very cheap type of fabric and not very vibrant in colors. You'd never see anything like the colors we have here today among the common folk because they couldn't afford it. Because the Ilius coccus, which was a tiny little insect, which would produce one small drop of red dye. And it would take thousands of those to be able to make a suit or a dress or whatever more. So only very rich. And then the mollusk out of the Mediterranean Sea, which would produce a blue. And they would take many, many hundreds of them to be able to make the beautiful colors. But notice how the king is dressed. <laughs> He's ready to get married. And they would take these garments and they would let them set in a chest. And depending on your personality and the way you were, they would pick certain fragrances that matched who you were. And they would take these herbs and aloes and oils and all this and they would put it together in a chest. And they would let these clothes start absorbing so it was a very aromatic smell. So when the bridegroom came out, he had a certain smell about him. Now remember, they didn't have air conditioners. They didn't have ceiling fans. Quite hot, dry. You can imagine. I don't need to go into very much detail. You can imagine it got quite smelly after a while, and weddings lasted for hours. Well, all of them lasted for days, actually a week. And their clothes, they wanted them to be so fresh. So here, this is what had happened to the bridegroom's clothes, that they were made, oh my soul, defining his character. And then they'd taken myrrh and aloes and cassia. And then they put all of this together and soaked the bridegroom's clothes. Hallelujah. I can see them as they buy this hundred pounds 
of myrrh and cassia and aloe and frankincense. Because he had been given such a short, short span, they were unable to anoint his body before they put him in the virgin tomb. So here comes Mary and the other Mary with all of this aloes and the coming to anoint him. Praise God. But you imagine when they get there, he's already up. But he left behind his aroma. In the fall, I'll be going to Illinois to hunt. And then a little later in the year, I'll be going to Kansas, Lord willing. This is a sequence of events that happens in my house. I have a real soft cotton t-shirt that I sit in and study. Depends on whether it's warm or winter. If it's winter, I have a cotton t-shirt with long sleeves. If it's warm, I have a cotton t-shirt that has sleeves up here. And Carol will tell me before I'm fixing to leave, I don't want to wash your t-shirt. I want to sleep with it. Because it reminds me of you. Hallelujah. A lot of people catch a whiff of Jesus and they say, Bunch of crazy people. I wouldn't want to be around that bunch of mess and be identified. But you caught one smell. Oh, you said, the lily of the valley. The bright and the morning star. He could not get anointed with frankincense. They could bring it at his birth, but he could not receive its power on his life till after his death. I smell worse than a skunk. And some of you all was as bad, if not worse, than I was. I'm talking about spiritually in our lost state. We smell worse than a polecat, brother Louis. We was unbearable, we was rotten, we had this terrible stench of sin about us. And the Lord Jesus called us, sprinkled our heart and separated it from our conscience, and our bodies became washed in pure water of the Word. And He started anointing us with aloes and fragrances and the spiritual perfumes which the divine apocalypses begin to compound together, the ministers of the gospel, as they take in you know, on one service and boy, they pound and pound and man, it's got a lot of bitterness in it. So, oh boy, that's a tough service. But then the next time you come in and they got aloes and they got, you know, a little bit of sandalwood and a patchouli and a little bit of this... Oh, oh, that service was so wonderful. And you just float out. Praise God. And then you come back in Wednesday night and you float back in. It don't take you long to realize, I should have walked in. Or I should have crawled in. 
I shouldn't have floated in. I'm more of a target higher I float. But sometimes we need both, you know. And his life must be that fragrant one that the prophet likened to him. And he said that they take the lily and they get the opium out of it. But it has to be crushed. Notice how he describes it. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand. Actually, Psalms 45 is a parallel of the Song of Solomon, if you don't know that. Upon thy right hand did stand the... Oh, he's got married. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider. Incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. He got married. And here David sees the queen standing by his side. And he tells her, forget your past. Forget your daddy's ideas. Forget your mama's ideas. The king, don't you know it? The king greatly desires that beauty. But it's not a beauty you have on your own. It's not a beauty that you've worked up. It's a God-given beauty. It's a God-given beauty. What makes you and I beautiful, acceptable, honorable, anointed in the position of the queen with the gold of Ophir? What is it? It's a gift. It's a gift. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord. I love this because now it ain't us saying it. He is my Lord. He is my Lord. A lot of folks sang that in total hypocrisy. He ain't their Lord a bit more than nothing. But I love it when deity is identified from the angelic realm. And the angels have to say it back to the bride. We can see He is your Lord. Worship thou Him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with the gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. Now this is, this is a sign of extreme wealth. Only the very extreme rich would have been able to take gold and melt it so fine and snip it in tiny, tiny threads of gold and silver. And they would have their cloth woven every sixth, depends on what your number was, or eighth or tenth thread would be wound 
as they would go and take it out. I want this in the 13th thread. I want this in the 18th repeat. Repeat it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Then a layer of gold. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And a thread of gold. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And a thread of gold. And then when you walked out, your wealth was displayed by the garments you had on. There stands the bride. Her garments is made out of gold. We was all so poor we couldn't afford a grass sack. We done good to have an old flour sack. We done good to have an old abandoned corn sack. But Jesus took my old flour sack off of me. And he gave me garments that are so fine. And so beautiful that they're interwoven with gold, which is a representation of deity. On occasion, they would have a thread of silver. Silver, of course, in the metallurgical types represents silver redemption. Purple, royalty, blue, heavenly, crimson, redemption. Notice this. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, notice, the virgins are not the queen. And the queen is not the virgins. She has a different status. She has on different clothes. The virgins aren't brought to the king, but the queen is. Let me close. She shall be brought to the king, unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her after the tribulation is over. And they're granted eternal life. Glory to God. The virgins, her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee with gladness and rejoicing. They'll be brought. I guarantee you they'll be brought, brother. Oh, they're not going to be mad that they're not bride. They'll be so happy that they're there. They'll rejoice for eternity. Praise be to God. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to rejoice for them and with them. I don't know how many I'm going to lead to Christ over the ages, but I know one thing the prophet of God said, everyone that you lead to the Lord Jesus, their name is identified with you through eternity. Praise be to God. Aren't you so glad that our Lord not only loves the bride, but he loves this group out here, the whosoever. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Let's close with this verse here in Hebrews 1.9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. But Brother Donnie, how could we ever... Be presented like that to him. Well, let me just whet your appetite for a little, can I, for a couple of minutes? <laughs> Don't 
Notice this, remember to God, you're more than the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus gave his blood for you, you are the purchase of his blood. If I had two drops of the literal blood of Jesus in a glass, how I would hold it to my heart and weep and stand there watching that I didn't stumble to spill it. And as I walked to it, wherever I was destined to go with it, how I'd watch every step that I didn't stumble, placing my feet just where they should be. And I thought, how I would hold those two drops of blood. But you know, in the sight of God tonight, may I say to you today, Happy Valley Church, this is the way I relate to you. Setting before me is a thing, a greater thing to him than his own blood. This is why I would never intentionally lead you in error. I would never try to deceive you. I would never try to do anything that would not benefit you spiritually, help you spiritually, help you in your walk with God. I keep this before me every day of my life. I don't study things to throw at people. I don't study things to use the pulpit and be a pulpit bully. I realize I've got an answer for every sermon that I preach. I'm going to stand before God one day and this is the way I look at you. This is the way I look at the people of God I preach to around the world. That they are worth more value than the blood of Jesus. Setting before me is a greater thing to him than his own blood because it's the purchase of his blood. He shed his blood for you and here I hold in listening tonight of the gospel. Then how close I must tell you exactly the truth. Because God will make me answer for it at the day of the judgment. More than if I took the blood, the literal blood, and threw it on the ground. So for me to intentionally preach something that would lead anybody astray, or intentionally misapply the word, it would be worse than for me to take this full of the blood of the Lord Jesus and throw it all over the ground and trample that blood under my feet. God bless you. Let's stand together. Let me finish this quote. It would be a greater penalty to mislead the people the purchase of his blood than it would be to throw the blood from the charger. Oh my God, that I had it in. Question answer 64, he really loves you more than he loved himself because he gave himself for you. You're the purchase of his blood. Why would he go through all this? You're the reason. Why would he deal with us and our humanity and put up with our ignorance and our stupidity for all these years? You're the reason. He loves you so much. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, Love your wives 
as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is why, my friends, when the Lord Jesus leads me down a path that is so difficult and hard to bear, I keep these principles before me. He would not be leading me this way if somehow it was not for my good. He would not be allowing me to go through this terrible time without knowing there was something to my advantage. It's helped me through so many hard times. You may look and say, how in the world can he deal with that? This is what I keep before me. He loves me more than he loved himself. With that in mind, he would never do something to me to be mean to me. He chose to allow the Romans to be mean to him rather than for him to be mean to me. Praise God. Can we bow our heads together? Lord Jesus, what can we say? How great you are. How wonderful, Father. How can we comprehend such a love? The prophet said we can't. We just have to let that type of character live inside of us. I can see why a theologian could spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of his life and never grasp it because it's not understood by theology. The best way to understand such a love is to let the person of that love come in our hearts. And then He gives us that understanding from within. And we experience that love from our soul instead of trying to comprehend it through our head. We could drive ourselves insane trying to figure out such a love through our brain, our intellect. But the best way to know about it is experience it. Experience this type of love. And this experience gets sweeter and sweeter and more rich and more full. Praise God. Lord Jesus, I not only want to quote quotes of love, quote scriptures of love, I want to live the language of love. You showed me how much you loved me. You spread open your arms and died. So love has a language all its own. This is why you tell us don't just love in word, but love in deed. Bless your holy name today, Lord Jesus. We worship you, mighty God. Who are we that were clothed in old flyer sacks, as it were, of our sins? Wretched, blind, lost. Now we find ourselves standing at the right hand of the King, clothed in needlework. Praise God. Our old smell of sin taken away. You order your 
divine apothecaries to put together the mixture to anoint the bride. Praise God. We will be so fragrant when we leave this place. We will be able to walk right into the fragrant presence of the Son of God. It's amazing to me, Lord, because we will leave Laodicea and we'll come out of Laodicea the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the furnace of fire. They come out of there without one smell of smoke. We'll come out of Laodicea without one smell of Laodicea being on us. The filthiest, rotten, stinkingest age it's ever been. But we'll come out with such a fragrant smell that we'll walk right into the presence of the King. And He will take a whiff of that bride, as it were, and say, oh, my beloved. And we will smell Him, as it were. Oh, my love, your cassia, your aloes, your presence preserved me, Lord Jesus. Your presence kept me. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, how we love you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord God. If there's a one here today who still has that smell of selfishness on them, I believe if every person here could ever really get a whiff of selfishness and stubbornness, and self-centeredness and see how that relates in the presence of God it would be a stench in our nose the rest of our life you look at stubbornness as witchcraft and idolatry selfishness being the sin of Satan oh but Jesus anoint us you were anointed above your fellows with the oil of gladness. Oh, our sweet lover, our King, Adonai, anoint us above the churches. Anoint us above those that we are around. Let the cassia and the aloes and the frankincense the myrrh all mixed together with the patchouli. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Let it produce a divine aromatherapy, oh God. Hallelujah. It will so saturate our soul, Heavenly Father. We worship you, Jesus. Can we just love him together, saints? Oh, my don't you appreciate not only what he's done but what he's doing he didn't just save you he's keeping you he ain't just keeping you saved he's keeping you fragrant in a day when people's becoming so bitter and so arrogant really their their attitude is a stink in God's nostrils God's keeping you sweet and fragrant and anointed with these oils, praise God. Praise God. Oh, you don't smell like turpentine. You don't smell like some of the things that have this pungent, terrible smell about them. 
my, but you've got that aroma about you that the king loves. He takes a whiff of you, praise God. And it reminds him of of himself. Cause you smell like him. Your clothes look like his. Glory be to God. Oh Jesus, I bless your name. I worship you, mighty God. Can we just take a few minutes before we go and worship him together? Hallelujah. Oh mercy. fine linen God's mercy reroll my life can we just worship him together saints you had that pungent smell of sin about you but today you've got the aroma of righteousness Hasn't it been wonderful? Not only saved us, but he's keeping us. 
by his great power. Praise the Lord. Let's sing this song this morning with all of our heart. Just before we leave, it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Have service here, Lord willing, again Wednesday night. Just looking to see what the Lord would have for us. But let's sing this. I think this is one of the greatest songs that's ever been written because it brags about the greatest being that's ever been, our Lord Jesus. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. I'm just glad I can say I'm one of them that believes the true report. Aren't you glad that you're one of them? Let's sing just a tad of that this morning as we get ready to go. God bless you. Let's sing with all of our heart this morning. Give me a key. Give me your hand. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them.
ghost everywhere whose hearts are all aflame with the fire that fell at Pentecost which and made them clean it's burning now within my heart glory to his name I'm glad that I can say I'm one of them yes I'm one of them thank you Lord I'm so glad that I I'm one of them